In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. God willing, today we're going to try to finish the book of Nehemiah. Um, uh, last time we studied chapter 9. Does anyone remember what were some of the main themes of chapter 9? So in chapter 9, um, now, we, we, again, we said that the book of Nehemiah can be divided into like really two main parts. The first part is the building of the wall, and the second part is all the activity of the people in the city after the wall is built. So uh, after the completion of the wall, now the uh, the people are, are assembling, they're reading the law, they're asking God for forgiveness and mercy for their sins, um, and repenting and so on. So in chapter 9 was a, a long prayer that was offered um, to God, essentially recounting all the ways that God has been faithful to the Israelites throughout history, all the ways that they have been unfaithful to him, all the ways that God has been merciful to them and treated them better than they deserve, um, and so on. So um, that was primarily what chapter 9 was about. Um, and today we're going to continue with chapter 10. Now those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, and Zedekiah. Zedekiah is, um, uh, is, is, is someone not mentioned before, but it's, it's, gonna, it's going to list all these different groups of people that are like uh, uh, affirming this document, which is essentially like reestablishing and reaffirming the, cover the covenant between um, the people and God. Um, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Peshur, Amariah, Malkaijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Maluk, Harem, Meramoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathan, Baruch, Mushalam, Abijah, uh, Mijamin, Maziah, Bilgaiah, uh, and Shemaiah. These were the priests. So this was the group of priests. Yes. This is what, what was from the previous chapter, which is essentially like um, the document that is like dedicating um, themselves and dedicating the wall and 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 uh, reaffirming the covenant between them and God. Yeah, so now they're like putting the seal on this document. Okay, um, the Levites, Jeshua the son of Azaniah, Binui of the sons of Hanadad and Gadmiel, their brethren Shebaniah, Hodijah, Kalida, Peliah, Hanan, uh, Micah, Rehob. Meshabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shabaniah, Hodijah, Bani, and Benino. Okay, that's the Levites. Then the leaders of the people. Parosh, Pahath, Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, <laughs> Asgad, Babai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, uh, Ater, Hekaziah, Azur, Hodijah, Hashum, Bezai. <laughs> Sorry, names. <laughs> Herif, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpiash, Mushalem, Hezir, Meshezabel, Zadok, Hadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Aniah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashub, Melohesh, Pila, Shobek, Rahum, Hashabna, Messiah, Ahijah, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Harem, and Bana. And then there was like other people, all the rest of the people that didn't necessarily have any specific rank. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, 
and the gatekeepers, the singers, uh, the Nethanim. Remember, the Nethanim were like the helpers of the Levites that worked in the temple. And all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lo the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. So when it says here that they're entering into a curse and an oath, what is the curse and what is the oath? So what is a curse? When you enter into a curse? Because they're like they're not they're not leaving a curse, they're entering into a curse. Yeah, so the curse is the punishment of breaking the covenant. And the oath is like the positive, right? Like 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 God is saying, when you follow me, I will protect you. I will be your guardian. I will provide for you. I will do all these good things. But if you don't, then all of these bad things are going to happen, right? So that's the curse and the oath. Yes. So by having by having um, a list of all of the and, and these are not all the people these are like the leaders of the families and whatnot, but by having the the list of names, it will um, it, it's there's several purposes. I mean, one purpose for us is looking back and we can find the actual genealogies of these people and we can find maybe extra biblical references that also mention the same people, and show that these are in fact people that lived at the time. But from the perspective of the covenant, it's showing like God is like caring about each individual, right? Like God cares about each individual and he's listing them by name. And I think I mentioned this example before. Like imagine if you, you know, your name was written in the Bible as one of the people whom God's, who's God's children, right? Like it would be very like powerful for us to feel that because maybe now we feel like we are one and many, many and does God really like notice me or care about me individually? Here we see that all of these people, God knew them by name, God cared about them by name, and he even mentioned them in his word, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it, it definitely adds to the, the personal per aspect of like the scripture, that it's not just something that's given to all the people as a group, but it's something that's given to each person as an individual. Um, we would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. So that's one of the big issues um, that was resulted actually in, in, in the exile to begin with was the intermarrying with the pagans. Um, and so they are they're reaffirming uh, in this that this is they are promising not to do this. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Keep the keep these two things in mind because we're gonna refer back to them later, the the not intermarrying with the pagans, and the keeping of the Sabbath, and if the other people of the land, the traders and the merchants, are coming to Jerusalem and they're saying, hey, do you want to buy our wares? 
um, then we we're saying, well, if it's a Sabbath day, no, we're not going to buy anything on the Sabbath day. And on the seventh year, which is the Sabbath year, according to the law of Moses, the people should leave the land fallow so the land would have rest. Okay, and so there again, they're, they're, they're affirming that they're going to do this and that all debts are forgiven. So again, they're affirming that they're going to do this. So following the law, because remember before this, they read the law. Many of them had never read the law, never knew the law. Now, after hearing the law, they are affirming that they are going to follow the law. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offerings of the Sabbath, the new moons and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of God. So, again, one of the laws was that the, the money that was needed to support the temple and those who work in the temple, which include the priests, is to be paid for by the people. Okay, so this is the third thing they're promising. Okay, first they said we will not intermarry. Then they said we will keep the Sabbath. And now they're saying we are going to pay our tithes. Okay. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. So the, the, the wood that was needed for all of the burnt offerings for the people was something that was donated by the people. Originally, back before the exile, this responsibility of bringing the wood was the responsibility of the Nethanim. The Nethanim, again, were the helpers that worked in the temple. Um, but because the Nethanim had been scattered, because now there was a lot less people than before, um, it was that, that responsibility was divided among all of the people by lot, okay? Um, and not, not specifically for the Nethanim only. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees year by year to the house of the Lord. So again, the first fruits of everything, the first fruits of their harvest, right? Um, is to be brought to uh, the Lord. To bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God. Okay, so, so again, part of the first fruit that is given is the firstborn of our sons, of our cattle, um, in, in every way. This is based on Exodus chapter 13. It says this, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, so speaking about when they enter into the promised land, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. So that means that all the firstborns, uh, males of all the animals would be offered as sacrifice. Okay? So it shall be when your son asks you in time, of in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So what does this mean? He's saying, because God spared the firstborn of all of the Israelites uh, when they were slaves in Egypt, so it's like God has redeemed them, God has saved them, so they have become consecrated to him. 
So now he is saying, take all of the firstborn of the animals, and they are now consecrated to me, right? Because I have delivered them. Now, of course, they weren't offering the children, like the, the human children, as sacrifice, but they were consecrated um, to to God. To bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the first, uh, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil, to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse. So again, this is another thing that they're saying is that they are using the storehouses in the temple to store all of the tithes, all of the first fruits, all of the things that the people are donating to the temple. There are storehouses in the temple to um, to keep all of these things. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain of the new wine and oil and the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our gods. All these things are for um, supporting the temple. Okay, So this is all part of the covenant that the people are making with God, that they are confirming that they are going to follow the law. All of these laws are the same laws that have been there from the beginning, but had been neglected, and, and the people were ignorant of them. They didn't know them. And now after having read the law again, they are reconfirming that they are going to follow all of these things to restore the worship of God in Israel as it had been from before. Okay? Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots, to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. So what is this? So Jerusalem was a very large city, but the number of people who were dwelling in Jerusalem was actually much less than what the city could hold. Um, now that the city had been repaired and the, w the walls had been repaired and it was a safe place to live, they wanted to bring other people who were living in other, like of the Jews, who were living in other cities around Israel, around Jerusalem, they wanted to bring them to live in Jerusalem, right? And part of this would be for protection. Now that the, um, you know, the, 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 the city had been built, they needed more people to be there in case there was you know, an, an enemy that came to attack um, and so on. And so they cast lots and they said 10% of all of the people who are living in all of the various cities around Jerusalem are to relocate and to live in Jerusalem. Okay? And this was done by lot. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province uh, who dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities, Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, and descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. The children of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalel, the children of Perez, uh, and Messiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Kolhoza, the son of Hazaiah, the son of Adiah, the son of Joarib, the son of Zechariah, the son of Shiloni. All the sons of Perez who dwelt at Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. 
And these are the sons of Benjamin. So from meaning from the tribes, right? So that, well, those were the people from the tribe of Judah who came and dwelt in Jerusalem. And now these are the people from the tribe of Benjamin who dwelt in Jerusalem. Salu, the son of Mushalam, the son of Joed, the son of Badiah, the son of Koliah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Jeshiah. Uh, and after him, Gabai and Salai, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Senua, was second over the city. Of the priests, so there were also, remember, the, the Levites, the priests were spread out um, throughout, and so they also wanted to bring priests to come and live in the city. Um, of the priests, Jediah, the son of Joyrib, and Jachin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Marioth, the son of Ahitub, was the leader of the house of God. Their brethren who did the work of the house were 822. And Adiah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Palaliah, uh, the son of Emzi, the son of Zechariah, the son of Pashur, the son of Malkijah, and his brethren, heads of, the f of their father's houses, were 242. And Amishai, the son of Azarel, the son of Ahazai, the son of Meshilamoth, the son of Immer, and their brethren, mighty men of valor, were 128. Their overseer was Zebdiel, the son of one of the great men. Also of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, the son of Azrakem, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Buni, uh, Shabbatai, and Josabad, the heads of the Levites, and the oversight of the business, had the oversight of the business outside of the house of God. Metaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zebdi, the son of Asaph, the leader who began the thanksgiving with prayer, uh, Bukiah, the second among his brethren, and Abda, the son of Shamua, the son of Galel, the son of Jaduthan, all the Levites in the holy city were 284. Moreover, the gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brethren who kept the gates were 172, and the rest of Israel, of the priests and Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance, but the Nethanim dwelt in Ophel, and Ziha and Gishpa were over the Nethanim. Also, the overseer of the Levites at Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hajabiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micah, one of the sons of Asaph, the singers in charge of the service of the house of God, for it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers a quoted day by day. So part of the part of the donations that were given to the temple went to the, the Nethanim um, and to the, the singers. These are the ones who are like singing like in the in the worship and in the, in the ritualistic worship of God. Pethahiah, the son of Meshezabel, of the children of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's deputy in all matters concerning the people. And for the villages with their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in Kirjath Arba and its villages, Dibon and its villages, Jechabazil and its villages, in Jeshua, Molada, Beth Pelet, Hazar Shual, and Beersheba and its villages, in Ziklag and Makanoah and its villages, in Enrimon, Zorah, Jarmoth, Zanoah, Adalam and their villages, in Lakish and its fields, and in Azekah uh, and its villages, they dwelt from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. Also the children of Benjamin from Geba dwelt in Michmash, Aijah, and Bethel and their villages, in An Anathoth, Nob, and Aniah, in Hazor, Ramath, Gitiam, in Hadid, Zeboim, and Nebalat, in Lod, Ono, and the Valley of Craftsmen, 
some of the Judean divisions of Levites were in Benjamin. So again, it's a lot more names talking about all the people now who had been had moved and living in Jerusalem. Okay, oh, chapter 12. Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. So remember Zerubbabel, who was Zerubbabel? Right, so the return from exile happened in three stages, and Nehemiah was the third and the last stage. Um, Zerubbabel was the leader of the first stage. So he's saying, here are the names of the people who came originally in the very first return. Okay, These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the sons of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rahum, Mermoth, Ido, Genethoi, Abijah, Mejamin, Medaiah, Bilga, Shemaiah, Joyrib, Jediah, Salu, Ema, Kelkiah, and Jediah. These were the heads of the priests and their brethren in the days of Jeshua. Moreover, the Levites were Jeshua, Benui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who led the Thanksgiving Psalms, he and his brethren. Also, Bakbukiah and Oni, their brethren, stood across from them in their duties. Jeshua begot Joachim, Joachim begot Eliashab, Eliashib begot Joida, Joida begot Jonathan, and Jonathan begot Jedua. Now in the days of Joachim, the priests, the heads of the fathers' houses, were Sariah, Mariah, Jeremiah, Hananiah of Ezra, Meshulam of Amariah, Jehoanan of Meliku, Jonathan of Shebaniah, Joseph of Haram, Adna, Merioth, Helkai of Edo, Zechariah, and Ginnathan, Meshulam of Abijah, Zikri, the son of Minjamin, uh, of Modiah, Pilatai of Bilga, Shamua of Shemaiah, Jeho Jehonathan of Joyrib, Matani of Jediah, Uzi of Salai, Kalai of Amak, Eber of Hilkiah, Hashabiah, and of Jediah, Nathanel. During the reign of Darius the Persian, a record was also kept of the Levites and priests who had been heads of their father's houses in the days of Elishib, uh, Joida, and Jonan. And, uh, and Jadu, the sons of Levi, the heads of the fathers' houses, until the days of Jehoanan, the sons of Elishib, were written in the book of the Chronicles. And the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah and Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Kedmiel, with their brothers across from them, to praise and give thanks, uh, group alternating with group, according to the command of David, the man of God. Mataniah, Bakbukiah, uh, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers keeping the watch at the storerooms of the gates. These lived in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, the scribe. Now the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in their all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singings, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. So what is this dedication? The dedication is like the consecration of the wall. After Solomon built the temple, there was this gigantic celebration and, and, and burnt offerings that were offered and all kinds of things that were done in order to dedicate the temple. And it was after the dedication of the temple that the Spirit of God came and dwelt in the temple. Um, so here they are also dedicating the wall as being a recognition that God is the one who was um, uh, the, the, the one who accomplished the building of the wall and that the building of the wall was done in the name of the glory of God. Um, according to some people, this dedication 
um, that was done by Nehemiah happened directly and immediately after the wall was complete. But according to others, um, it, ha it happened after uh, like setting other new establishments in the city. So it wasn't immediately after. So some people say this was done immediately after the building of the wall. Uh, other people say it was done later on. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Natophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Giba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Then the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So part of the dedication was like a ritualistic cleansing ceremony that was done for the people to represent like their purity before God. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall towards the refuse gate. After them went Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Metaniah, the son of Micaiah, Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph and his brethren, Shemaiah, Azrael, uh, Melali, Gilali, Mai, uh, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Ezra the scribe went before them. So remember, Ezra is still alive, and Ezra is still participating in this uh, dedication of the wall. By the fountain gate, in front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David as far as the water gate eastward. The other thanksgiving choir went the opposite way, and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of a hundred, as far as the sheep gate. These are all the names that we had mentioned in the original building of the wall, which is like, like speaking about all of these different landmarks around the wall. Uh, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God likewise, I and half of the rulers with me and the priest, Eliakim, Messiah, Minjamin, Micaiah, uh, Elioni, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, also uh, Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehoanan, Malkaijah, Elam, and Ezer. The singers sang loudly with Jezariah, their director. So the choirs are singing. Also the day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar off. At the same time, and at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse of the offerings, the first fruits and the tithes, to gather into them the fields of the cities, the portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. So the people respected the priests and the Levites because they ministered to the Lord, and they were the ones who were managing the house of God. They were the ones who were offering sacrifices, and they were paying their tithe to support both the temple and all of the workers of the temple and the priests. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. Okay, so all of that. On that day, 
They read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So this story is, uh, is, 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 uh, happens in the book of Numbers, where during the time when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, um, the, the, the enemies of, of God, um, they hired a, uh, a prophet essentially to curse the Israelites, um, but God did not allow him to curse. Uh, and so it was, it was at the top from that time, they were like, okay, we cannot, we cannot um, intermingle with the, the Gentiles, right? We cannot intermingle with them. So he's saying separate yourself from them, okay? Separate yourself from them, from them. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So remember, at the time when Nehemiah is coming to rebuild the wall, Israel is just a, a, a mishmash of different people that are living there, right? It's not only the Jewish people that are living. Part of this was to reestablish the nation as being um, the, the, the Jewish people, and they're the ones who are worshiping God and offering sacrifices and so on. So here they are separating all of the different people from the Jews. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. So this um, this priest, Eliashib, okay, he had um, like an agreement with Tobiah. Tobiah was, the Bi Tobiah the Ammonite, he was one of the people who was against Nehemiah in building of the wall. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. So what is it that he did? So he gave them, he gave him the room that was used to store the offerings. Okay. So this room, the storehouse that is part of the temple was set to receive the offerings. Okay. But here, this priest, Eliashib, because he had a good relationship with Tobiah, who actually was the against the building of the walls of Jerusalem and against Nehemiah from the beginning, he granted him to use this room. He prepared this room for him, okay, where they, had, where they were storing all of these things. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, you know, he was originally in Persia. He came to Jerusalem. He built the wall and managed everything as we've read. Then he went back to Persia for a time, and then he came back again to Israel. So while Nehemiah was gone, a lot of things went wrong, as always happens. Okay, a lot of things went wrong. And those same things that we mentioned at the beginning, that the people were committing themselves to do, like not intermarrying with the pagans and keeping the Sabbath day and store and giving tithes to the priests and all those things that they were explicitly said by the people that they were going to do, they started to deviate from that. And it's really like, <laughs> like when you read the whole, the whole Old Testament, like it's very depressing. It's very depressing about the nature of, 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 of like the human depravity, right? In us, all of us, that's not, I'm not blaming them. It's us as well. It's me. Um, like all the things that we want to do and all the things we know that we should do, we don't do. Like it's in like in Romans chapter seven when St. Paul is saying, all the things that I want to do, I find myself not doing them. And all the things that I 
that, that I know I shouldn't do, I, I do, right? The, the very things that all the people explicitly said that they were not going to do or that they were going to do, they start to deviate from this the moment that Nehemiah is gone, okay? So he's saying, but during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered. So he's like coming back now to, to Israel to, to see how things have been going, right? Because Nehemiah is the governor of Jerusalem at this point. So um, discovered that discovered the evil that Eliashib, who was the priest that allowed Tobiah access to the storehouses, had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. Okay? So Nehemiah, when he comes, he's going to find four problems. Okay? He's going to find four problems. The first problem is giving this room to Tobiah. So it, gi it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. So Tobiah was using the storehouse of the temple is his own personal closet, his own storage, okay? And this was granted to him by a priest of the temple, okay? So a Jewish priest who is supposed to enforce the law of God, instead granted Tobiah, who he's buddies with, uh, to, to use this room as a storage place for his own things, okay? So Nehemiah, when he came back and he discovered this, he was very upset, and it says, I threw all of the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Okay? So that's the first problem. The second problem. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. So cleanse the rooms because it's like by using something that was consecrated to God for any other purpose, it's like now been desecrated. Right? So cleansing the room is to re-consecrate the room uh, for the purpose it was originally intended. Okay? And I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and frankincense. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them, given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So the second problem is that the people were not actually supporting the temple. And the people were not giving their tithes to support the Levites. Okay, And whatever money had been given was not reaching the Levites. So what is it that the Levites did? Well, because there is no one supporting them, they essentially left and they went to go and work on their own so they could support themselves, right? So that's the second problem, right? So the again, what God had made as a support system for the Levites to support their ministry, now they had to go work on their own because there was no way for them to be supported. This is why also like when we, uh, we, we like the church, it, it says that anyone who is consecrated right, for, for service, like someone who wears black, okay, um, whether it be like a deacon or a priest, um, should be full-time, like full-time only in the church and should be supported by the church. Even St. Paul was saying that, um, like, the, uh, the, the, the worker is worthy of his wages, right? He says that the oxen eats of the, 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 the crops that he is treading, right? Like in when he was working uh, in the farming, it's like he can eat the food from the field that he is plowing right and that's the same principle here right like the, the those people who are consecrated to the work of god should only be doing the work of god and and this was the problem is that they were not receiving the tithes from the people so they couldn't do the work of god um, because they had to support themselves now there are situations where 
I mean, even today and even in the Coptic Church, for instance, where um, there isn't enough financial support, let's say, for a priest um, in some area. And there are cases where a priest works. Um, but it's done as a, as a concession for pastoral need, not because that is, the, that is the, the desire or the goal. Like the goal would be that the priest doesn't have to do any other work apart from the service of the church, so he can be fully committed and consecrated to the service that he is doing. So this was the second problem. So what did Nehemiah do? So I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shalemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and of the Levites Pediah. And next to him was Hanan the son of Zakor, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful and their task was to distribute to their brethren. So what did again, what did Nehemiah do? Okay, he's asking the question, why is the house of God forsaken? Why is it that the things that are supposed to be given to support the house of God and to support the temple, why are they forsaken? Why have they not been given to them? And so he brought all of the tithes and he brought it into the house of God so that it could be a support. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of, of my God and for its services. So again, like God is Nehemiah is saying like a prayer to God. It's like, remember me for good for the things that I have done in supporting your house. Okay, so that was two problems. What was the first problem? The room. He gave the room away. Okay, what was the second problem? The tithing was uh, the tithes were not given to support the priests and the Levites. Okay. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day about the day on which they were selling provisions. So again, the third thing that the people had said at the beginning that they are committed to do, which is to keep the Sabbath holy. They are not keeping the Sabbath holy. They are doing these other things on the Sabbath. Okay? And, and, and a part of this was from these traveling merchants, the merchants who would come and bring the, their wares to sell um, from outside of the city. They would bring them into the city. And even though it was a Sabbath day, the people would buy it. Okay? And they would do work. So Nehemiah also is saying, I saw this happening. Men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you, you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Like you would have thought that, or someone might have thought that, like, okay, because you learned your lesson, like these people who um, are doing this are, 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 are the people who were born in exile because their parents did not obey the law of God. And wouldn't you feel thankful that God has had mercy on you that allowing you back into the city and telling you he's added no new laws, like it's the same rules as before, the same rules that were violated before, the same rules that after being violated caused you to go into exile, um, just follow the rules. This is what, what God has said, uh, keep the Sabbath day holy. And all of the work that had been done to rebuild the temple, because the, the, the Sabbath day was a day of worshiping God. 
right? So, so like the 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 people here who had just committed to this just said again, and, and when they sealed the, the the covenant with God, sealing saying we will keep the Sabbath day holy. Now here they are violating the Sabbath. One of the things, the third thing now that Nehemiah is coming to see is being violated. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, and I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. So he's saying essentially we will shut in ourselves on the Sabbath so that no merchant, no one from the outside can even enter into the city on the Sabbath day. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. The burdens means like the, 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 the merchandise that is carried by the animals, like the burdens of the animals into the city for selling. Now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So now they, they would stay outside the city because that's they would come in and sell. And now the gate would be remain closed and there is no way for them to sell on the Sabbath day. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Right? So the merchants, which don't care about the Sabbath, and all they care about is selling their products, they would wait outside of the city so that on the Sabbath day, when the gates are open, they would enter and there would be people there to buy their stuff. Right? So, so, so Nehemiah is warning the merchants themselves in saying, why are you outside the wall on the Sabbath? We're not going to buy your stuff on the Sabbath, so don't even lodge here around the city. Okay? Do you remember the fourth thing that they said that they would do at the beginning? They won't intermarry, right? Okay. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and they should go and guard the gates and sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. The same thing, again, that had happened many years before, a hundred years before, and also had just they had just promised not to do. They are again doing it again. Okay? And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, because now they're like half Hebrew uh, and half Philistine or other people. So they would sp they, the half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah. So they couldn't speak Hebrew, but they could speak like the tongue of the Gentiles, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him even to sin. So he's using the example which everyone knew of King Solomon who intermarried with the, with the Gentiles and this caused him to go astray from God. And he's saying even King Solomon in all his glory, when he, when he sinned, right? Um, like like, like when, he, when he intermarried with the, with the Gentiles, it, it caused him to sin, even, even King Solomon. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? So all the things, actually, every one of them, that the people said they weren't going to do, they did. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil? Okay, remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenants of the priesthood 
and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them of everything pagan. I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bringing the wood offerings and the food first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, O my God, for good. So, if anything we can see from this whole, this is the, this is the end of the book. If anything we can see from this whole story, like what do you what do you get from this whole story of Nehemiah? So no amount of human effort without the grace of God will cause someone to come to like a genuine repentance. Okay, good. What else? So that's another thing, like an external change doesn't necessarily imply an internal change, right? So the external change was Nehemiah came and he built a s he built the wall and he improved a lot of things and he rebuilt the settlements and he created laws and a system and he set everything in place. And, you know, we talk about how, like, Nehemiah was a great leader and how he was patient with the people and how he addressed every issue and he, he took action to correct even these four issues. He's like, for every one of them, like Nehemiah did not like did not like freak out like he he took an action and he tried to correct it okay but even with all the things that Nehemiah did the people still their heart was essentially addicted to their own way of life they couldn't see past it right they they ev even though like they read the law they knew what God commanded and the other interesting thing is that they were sincere in saying, hey, well, we're going to follow the law. We're going to follow what God said. Like, it's not that they were lying. It's not that they were being deceptive. They were sincere in doing that. But they didn't understand how difficult it is to do, right? So maybe sometimes we 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 assume or we make, uh, we, we, we make promises that we can't keep or we assume that we are capable of living to God's standards in a way that we can't. We maybe don't emphasize as much how in need of God's mercy we are because we continue to fall short of these things. You know, like you have people who are like, let's say when someone is building a church, they're so minded with the way that the church looks and how big it is and w how everything is fitting inside and it's great and we're all excited whenever there's a new church that's being built. But God doesn't care about those things. Like he cares about that there's a place where the people come to worship, but what he cares about is the heart of the people. So you can have people, you know, comes to mind is like those pictures that you see sometimes uh, in Egypt when like after a church has been burnt down 
or bombed or in some way destroyed and yet the people still come into this like rubble and ash and stand there in the middle of it praying a liturgy even like in the midst of destruction right like that's like the example where like the heart of the people are with god and like even if the church is demolished like they're still standing in the midst of it and and, and praising god despite all that's happened then you have like the reverse you know where like churches are just giant museums beautifully constructed you know with all kinds of icons and and beauty in them but the church is empty or the heart of the people in the church is like far from god so this we see this example here uh nehemiah definitely he did a good work and he did a work that was necessary um and and for sure god rewards him for all that he did um but the the building of the wall in and of itself was not the thing that restored israel to the glory that it was and of course we see fast forward you know from this time until the time of christ i mean the jews were the ones who crucified christ so so the it, things never really got to where they were supposed to be the other thing is god knew this like when when he sent the people to exile as a as a punishment for their sins he allowed them to remain there for a time and then he allowed them to return. But he didn't allow them to return because he knew that now suddenly I know that my people are going to be righteous and holy. He knew that they were going to do this again. He knew that the exact same things that they did that caused them to go into the exile were the same things that they're going to continue to do, right, and struggle with because God understands us and our human weakness. So it's, again, like interesting because sometimes we focus so much on the external and the, the how things are looking from the outside. This is true even in like things like Sunday school. For instance, in Sunday school, we spend a lot of time focusing about like things that are necessary. Like like okay, we we need to prepare lessons for the kids, and we need to have activities for the kids, and we need to buy them gifts, and we need to do this. Like there's all kinds of things that happen that have to happen in order for like a Sunday school service to function or other youth services to function, right? But in the end. You know, the idea that those things are going to translate to like a sincere re repentance and a sincere relationship with God. This is something that even with our best efforts, like Nehemiah, who did his best effort without, number one, the grace of God working and two, the, the will of the people to want to respond to the grace of God. Even with our best efforts, the people are going to remain living that life of sin. So so. That doesn't mean that we as servants don't have a role. We definitely have a role, right? Because if we don't do our role, then then maybe the people don't even have an opportunity for it. So we have a role. And as Nehemiah did, he gave them the opportunity. He said, you know what? Your city is destroyed. I'm going to come rebuild it for you. I'm going to give you the, the I'm going to allow you to worship again. I'm going to allow you to be protected and safe again. I'm going to I'm going to give you the chance to read the law, which they did. But after having all of that, if you choose to reject it all, then at that point, it's not Nehemiah's fault, right? It's not, it's not anything he did. It's not something that he lacked that caused that to happen. But if Nehemiah hadn't done it, if Nehemiah, kind of like Jonah the prophet, when he was presented with his mission, ran the other way and says, no, I'm not going to do it, right? Um, uh, then he would be to blame. So Nehemiah is a great servant in this and a great leader and a great visionary and a great everything that we read about. But at th by the end of the book that we read about him and all of his accomplishments, the people are kind of 
exactly where they were at the time when the exile happened. And, and maybe we, when we see our efforts uh, rejected or <laughs> not really as, um, as fruitful as we like, um, our, our reaction is frustration. Okay? But you see in each of these things, and maybe telling the very last verse of the book, remember me, oh my God, for good. It's like, remember me because I did good. I did what I could do. I did what was in my ability to do. I remain faithful and I cared enough about your people to try to get them to be faithful. But whether they accepted or not, whether they got on board or not, like I'm constantly trying to correct them. And, and he was. And every time he returned, he was correcting them. He was correcting what they were doing wrong. But in the end, he is not responsible for what they chose because he did his part. Right? And so um, I think it's a great lesson in several areas you know the depravity of of us how we go back to our sins again and again and again even after tasting the bitterness of punishment and consequence of sin how easy it is for us to go second thing is like the the need for the grace of god to really make like a real transformation in, in us and, and not just external changes um uh, three the patience of the servants who are waiting for god to work and if you look at yeah, like if you, Jonah, right? Like Jonah the prophet, he went there and with like with the with the with the least effort, just having gone and going around saying city of Nineveh will be destroyed, you know, and then suddenly everyone's repented. Like 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 what is it that you did, Jonah, like for that to happen? Like you just showed up and and suddenly you saw how everybody repented and then you look at the opposite example maybe of nehemiah who like did all this effort and all this work and all this planning and all this stuff and then by the end of the book you know it's like okay i mean the, the wall is built <laughs> but but like the people are still sinning right so it says like the, the 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 true servant of god is not focusing on the outcome because it it's it, it will be it will be always a disappointment right the outcome will always be a disappointment you you will never achieve what you hope to achieve in most cases, but the true servant of God is a person who is only satisfied in doing what they have been called to do, like one to be faithful what they have been given, right? The servant who's been given the five talents, he earned five more talents, right? Uh, regardless of what happened with those talents, or regardless if somebody took those talents and misused them, wasted them, whatever it is that happened with them. I, I did my role. I, I earned the five talents, and that's all. And God is going to what? Remember me for good. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? Because I did what I was called for. My part in this whole thing, I was faithful with. Even if the other people around me were not, that doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. I did what I could. So definitely, like, a very interesting ending to this book. Um, and maybe not one that we would expect, right? But because the whole book was like, Oh, look, Nehemiah's doing this, Nehemiah's doing that, and Nehemiah's so clever, Nehemiah's doing that. And then at the end, it's like, okay, well, it's great, but it wasn't, it wasn't enough, right? It wasn't enough for the people, you know, really to, 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 to repent. Do you want to say something?
yeah, very good. You know, maybe they were. And even like St. Paul, when he was speaking to like the Corinthians, he was saying, you know, you guys are divided. Like some people are saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. And then he said, is Christ divided? You know, like, so, so maybe, again, the mentality of someone, even who is coming to church, is they're coming to follow a specific person, um, maybe not to follow Christ himself. Um, and, 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 and you're right, like, the, the, the thing that these people were afraid of were, was Nehemiah, right? They were afraid of Nehemiah's reproach on them. And maybe what got them to correct themselves is the presence of Nehemiah. And as long as Nehemiah is there, they're all kind of like, you know, doing the right thing. But the moment that he's not there, it's like, well, are you really faithful? Like, do you re are you really doing anything for God himself? Or you're just doing this because your leader told you to do? And, and this is difficult because sometimes we don't know where we are. Like... You know, I, you know, there are many stories of people who are like when they are like young and they are like in the church and their parents are bringing them to church and they're even involved in service and various things and everything in their life looks good. But then they move away to some other place where they don't have as strong a church, let's say, or as many uh, services or as much fellowship as they had. And they find themselves more alone. And now it's really a test of. What is my faith? Is it, is, it, is it a faith that I have with God that I'll remain faithful to him even when I don't have that support system? Or is it really all about me just being a sheep among many that is just kind of like walking with the herd? And as long as the herd is going one way, I'm going to go with them. And if the herd decides to go a different way, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to blindly follow them. So, so it, 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 says, it, I mean, it says something, yes, about, about us and about the people who, you know, what is your motivation for doing the right thing? Is it, is it the right thing? What made Nehemiah different than all of these people? I, I, I mean, we don't know. Like, what is it like about Nehemiah specifically? You know, we have very little information about how he was raised. But you can see elements of his zeal for God from the very beginning of the story. The, the, the way that he prayed before he took any action. He prayed before speaking to the king. The way that he felt zeal and like, like, um, you know, like, like like he was cut to the heart when he heard that the wall was destroyed, that no one even asked him to go. Like nobody, that it's not like anyone came to him and be like, you need to go and do this. He took it upon himself. So he clearly had from the very beginning um, zeal for God. How he came to have that zeal, how he came to be at that point, we don't, we don't really know what made him different, right? Um, but we see that even today, there's some people that you look at them and they have a kind of a zeal for God and a willingness to accept suffering in the name of God and, and without bitterness or resentment or, 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 or losing faith or, and they just keep going, right? Like, uh, and like what comes to mind is, is, a, is a woman who, like her husband um, had like cancer and, and she had young children and so he, he ended up dying, 
and she was left to raise the children. And the very same day of the funeral, like she was always used to coming to Vespers, like every Saturday, the same day of the funeral, she kills. She still came to Vespers, um, and like I remember thinking, like that wouldn't have been me, like uh, <laughs> like the day of the funeral after this having happened, like I wouldn't have the strength to do that. But she, it's like it's like if you if you didn't know, like what had happened to her, um, you wouldn't even have guessed that her husband had just died. So there are some people that have such like a strong conviction and a strong sense of like character and faith that even in the midst of very difficult situations, they're like unwavering. Um, and they, but there's others that maybe their faith is very fragile and it's very easy for them to fall. So that's why we ask God, even those of us who are in the church, like we ask God f to strengthen us so because maybe the reason that we're here is because we have yet to experience the trial that will make us to fall away. And we don't feel confident in our position. We don't feel confident in what we've achieved. We don't feel confident in who we are because all it might take is the one thing that if God were allowed to happen to us, the way that he allowed for Job to suffer, that maybe we would be the first ones out the door, right? So we don't ever feel a sense of like personal strength or accomplishment or anything. We are, we, are, you know, we are saved completely by God's mercy and of what he's allowed and that we would just live to the end of our lives and persevere to the end. That is the greatest, um, that's the greatest and the only thing we can hope for. And we don't, we don't assume that we're good enough to even get there. This is why we're always saying so much like in the church, we're saying, Lord, have mercy. Like if you think of the number of times we say, Lord, have mercy, and how many times we just kind of like don't even pay attention to that, what we're saying. Like, why are we asking for the Lord's mercy? Because we are weak and how without his mercy we would fall. So maybe those people also who are the ones that are the most resilient are the ones who depend on God's mercy more than anything else. I mean, we're not, we're not saying that they were not. I mean, we're not saying that they were not, and we're not saying that they didn't have a period of time. You know, the timing here, we're not talking about how much time passed. I mean, look, it took Nehemiah years to travel there and back again. So the time between they made the promise to follow God and the time when all these problems happened was a, was a relatively long period of time. 
but the problem is is that we forget like we as human beings like we we forget and we take for granted god's goodness and the good things that we have and the periods of peace and prosperity that we have we take them for granted so when those things happen to us we begin to like loosen up a little bit and we're not as strict and we're not as careful and we're not whatever because we feel like okay like things are good and they're going to remain good we don't expect us we don't expect to lose you know those blessings um but if you look at the example again of like the ninevites like when they were confronted with their sin they chose without having been told to repent no one even told them that there was an opportunity for god to uh, to to not destroy them like Jonah didn't say, unless you do such and such, God is going to destroy you. So they, the faith that they had was like, even though they, 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 they believe what Jonah said, but they believed that God was good beyond even what Jonah believed. God was good. Because Jonah didn't believe God was good. Like, like he believed that he didn't want these people to, to live. But, but, and the Ninevites, like, even in their fasting, it says what everything fasted, like the babies fasted and the animals fasted. Like if you imagine like a, a nursing mom who would be like, you know what, I'm not going to breastfeed my child for three days because, because of our sin. Like that, th that's like, like you can't even like comprehend that. Like that's how much they believed and that's how much they cared about repentance. Whereas you can see in the Israelites, they always had a very um like loose relationship with repentance repentance for them was mostly about avoiding consequences rather than really like not wanting to offend god or, or not w wanting to be submissive to god it wasn't out of love the, usually the israelites their obedience was not out of love it was out of fear um or 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 just like wanting god to give them something Whereas what the Ninevites did, yes, they were threatened with destruction, but they went far above what maybe anyone would have thought that anyone could do in order to demonstrate repentance, and, and they were saved. So, you know, um, but, but definitely there's a lot that we can learn from this. Did you have a second question? Yeah. No, it definitely wasn't wrong that he built the wall. Though building the wall was necessary, like he's tr you're treating these people like children, 
right? And so, like, f- for children that don't know what's good for themselves, you are saying, I'm going to provide you an environment that has everything that you need to thrive, and I'm going to teach you what's right. And then once you have the environment and you know what's right, then I'm leaving you to practice it, right? So, so, so w- whether it was Ezra building the temple or like rebuilding the temple or Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, both things were necessary in order for the people to really be able to live in Jerusalem and to worship God. And when, when the wall was built and then said, okay, now we're going to read the law so that we all know what the law is about, right? And, and everybody understood it, and they said, oh, okay, and we promise to do it, right? And Nehemiah didn't abandon them. He stayed with them. He continued to, like, guide them in that. And, and Ezra the scribe was also there, and they had all the priests, and they had the Levites, and they had everybody, right? So there was plenty of support at that point, and everything that was done was necessary. But as before, uh, you know, whenever people are given free will to choose, they can maybe choose to do what is wrong it's not easy to break habits you know so they had of course habits for many many years of living away from god away from the law of god not knowing anything about the sacrifices or the temple worship or anything and so it was difficult for them to establish it um and and this is not to say that this is universal like for instance after this period of time when we go to the, the maccabees for instance the maccabees was a group of jewish people who were so zealous for god that they were like there was a group of them that they were so zealous for the Sabbath that they just stood there and allowed themselves to be slaughtered rather than to fight back. So it's it's not to say that it's like, okay, like it's all or nothing. There's always going to be people who are going to benefit. And just like Sunday school, there's always going to be kids that are absorbing everything and are listening to everything. And even if it doesn't necessarily manifest in them immediately, they are going to work with this right as a nation as a whole israel no they were not faithful but that doesn't mean that there weren't stars you know people who are standouts people who benefited from all the work that was done by ezra and nehemiah and all of that even at this time so and that's the point the point is is that we are doing the service even if we're not expecting everyone to benefit but those people who are benefiting those people who are who are doing like that's the that's the people that those are the fruits right and and even if it's just one person, right? And even if we don't know who they are, it was worth it for their sake. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your guidance and for your blessing and for your mercy. We ask, O God, that you help us to learn from the story of Nehemiah how to be faithful in the service, how to work diligently, how to have a zeal for your house, 
how to desire the salvation of your people and how to be patient even when we see that those people, O Lord, whom we are trying to instruct and teach are not able to accept or they do not or they turn back, O Lord, from the way that we have taught them. We ask, O Lord, for your mercy in our lives. Grant us, O Lord, to always follow you and to always stand up again every time that we fall. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.